Well, hello, everyone. My name is Irvin Nugent, and welcome to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in anxious times. And today, as always, I am joined by my friend, co-host, and collaborator, Bridget Tyre. Bridget, how are you doing today? Thank you for asking, Irvin. Uh, Let's see. I am doing well. And, you know, I'll tell you why. Because before we got on to record this episode, I had been having a very busy day, back-to-back calls and stuff. Well, I never do exactly back-to-back, but it felt like that to me. And it's a beautiful day here. It's uh, 70 degrees and sunny. And so I went, I thought, oh, God, I only have 10 minutes. So you know what? I went and sat outside on the back patio and the sun and the birds and just being outside. And what it reminded me of is it only takes five or 10 minutes to change your mood, to change how you feel mm. about the day. And so that was a great reminder. So I'm, I'm feeling good and I got a little bit of vitamin D and my head is in a great place. Oh, I love that. I love that reminder as well. It just... Often we think it's going to take too, too much. It's going to take so much time, and it really isn't. Yeah. It's just. I don't have time yeah. to step outside. I'm too busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Well, in today's episode, we're going to talk about a topic which, if you haven't gone through in the last year, then I don't know. You, you, you must be living somewhere that is not real. And that is we're living in a world of change. And if there's one thing that is constant and is speeding up, it is the reality of change. You know, just think, take a minute and think about what were you doing like 10 years ago, like 2013, and think about everything that's happened since 2013. And just imagine all the changes, the big changes and the little changes that you went through. And some of you probably welcome some of those changes. And some of you went kicking and screaming, um, having to go through those changes. You know, I think about myself, 10 years have got me resigning from my work, starting a new business. I got married and I had to change the way I deliver all of my courses and everything. I had to go, go virtual. So, you know, some of those were, those were huge, huge changes. And, you know, we'll get into this later. You know, my marriage, I, I was great. I loved it. I mean, it was a wonderful, wonderful occasion. I hotly anticipated it was a joy in my life. And it also is the source of a lot of anxiety and change <laughs> and adapting. And no matter how you think you've prepared for this event in your life, boy, you, 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 you begin to realize Oh, there's lots of things I didn't know about my husband, and now I do, and I've had to adapt and change. You know, even something as simple as I thought before I got married that I knew how to load a dishwasher, <laughs> and now I realize that I was totally wrong about that. That there is a certain order that I was not aware about, oh, and, and every goodness. time, and every time I pack that now, I have to realize, oh, uh, it's a little compromise in the change as well. So. So it is, it, it, this is just, we live in a world of constant changes. 
So Bridget, does that resonate with you? Oh, it does. Oh, well, first of all, our husbands have that in common because my husband has such order to his dishwashing loading that I don't, he's asked me not to load it anymore, which is fine by me. <laughs> I didn't get away with that. Unfortunately, I still have to load. <laughs> I, feel, I feel really bad for you. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So, oh my gosh, this question that you posed, what has happened in terms of change since mm. 2013? That's been 10 years. Yeah. And I started to think about it. And it's incredible. So, so back in 2013, my family began, well, it shrank and we became empty nesters because our last of three children left for college and our home became incredibly quiet. And my husband and I were like, whoa, you know, this is so new and different. And we were a little sad about it. But at any rate, so that was a change. And then my family expanded again because my daughter and my son got married, right? Two marriages. And of course that brought in new family members whom I love. And then in the last 10 years, three grandchildren have been born, which has just been amazing. Uh, mm. And I wrote, and I co-wrote two books with two wonderful colleagues. And I wow. could go on and on and on. I mean, there are so many changes, I guess, Irvin, what struck me about the question is, if you had couchy said, has a lot happened for you since 2013, my first response would have been, eh, you know, but oh my gosh, so much change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, 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 and I think it's important even to sit down and think about that because I think we are unaware of how much constant change is going on in our lives. And it is there in the background, whether we're consciously aware of how much change we've gone through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it has a real impact. It has an impact on our lives. It has an impact on organizations. And, um, you know, I was recently at a conference in the beginning of March, and I was totally enthralled by a speaker I'd never heard before. She originally is from Kazakhstan, but now um, based in New York. And her name is Dr. Nadia Semenbayeva. And she talks about change and organizational change, but she she threw up a few statistics which just blew my mind. And I thought I'd just repeat them here because I think they're worth repeating of the kind of world that we're living in. And she asks us, you know, how many recessions have happened since 1998 or sorry, since 1988 in the world? You know, think about, it, well, maybe 10 or 15 or whatever. And when you look at that, it's actually 469 recessions. What? Wait, since when? Since 1988, if you take the standard definition of a recession and you talk about countries going through recessions, you know, that's 469 recessions. It's crazy. And how we have to adapt to that. And then she said that 50% of S&P 500 companies will be gone by 2027. That's crazy. 50% gone. And then only 44% of today's leaders have held that position for at least five years. Isn't that crazy? Thanks. So you think about that, that constant change yeah. that we all have to go through. Yeah. And then one final thing, a, a statistic I was looking at from the Center of Creative Leadership said that 70% of change initiatives fail because of resistant company culture. We are resistant to change. Mm -hmm. And we still are. It's part of our human DNA. And yet we are faced with change in, in a way that we've never really done before. Yeah, I find this actually fascinating because yes, we are resistant to change and also we crave change. 
And it yeah. is a paradox or a polarity, yeah. however you want to label it, because there's two facets to um, ourselves about that. But yeah, so this resistance to change. So, you know, Irvin, we, as we've shared, we obviously, you and I have been through tre- tremendous change in the last decade. Uh, yep. And I would imagine many of our listeners have as well. And there's the personal and the professional and all of that. So maybe a good place to start is talking about how all of this change impacts the brain. Yeah. Well, just think for a minute in the days when you had an office, uh, maybe you don't anymore, but maybe uh, you still do. Just imagine your boss comes in, looks at your desk and says, excuse me, could you rearrange your desk items? And really doesn't give an explanation. Or perhaps you're on Zoom and your boss looks at you and said, uh, could you arrange what's happening behind the screen there? And doesn't give an explanation. What's our first reaction? Well, I think our first reaction will probably be to resist <laughs> or to demand an answer of why, you know? Indeed. So when you think about it, our natural default in our brain is to react the ass to change. It's a little bit negative. And the reason I think lies in human evolution. And it's not really surprising when you think about, you know, how we survived really depended upon social belonging. It demanded to be part of the group just as much as as food or shelter. And so therefore, our social standing, uh, both as an individual and a group, actually led to a higher mortality rate. So it was was really part of, of survival. And so when our social environment changes, when we go through changes, it it really challenges our stability and the brain reacts to that. And so therefore, if it is resistant, if there's a challenge or there's a threat or something, the brain perceives a threat, it is going to resist change as much as possible. And, you know, as much as we think of workplaces being logical and transaction-based, et cetera, there's a lot of human beings in there. (laughs) And we are faced with dealing with change uh, really in a daily basis. And so, therefore, the brain, you know, has to deal with that. And at times, if it perceives it as a threat, it will resist. Now, one of the other things that's important as well that I know when it comes to the, the neuroscience of this is that our brain actually loves habits and routines, And I think this plays a part as well. Bridget, uh, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, I want to say that, you know, it's good news that our brain loves habits and routines. I don't typically think of myself as very good at habit forming, but actually my brain is. And there's a part of our brain, the basal ganglia, that really plays a core role in establishing long-term habits. And the way this works is that our brain has a preference for tasks and activities that are familiar and repetitive and that we don't have to pay attention really while we're doing them. I mean, think of all the tasks, right? In a day like that, like brushing our teeth, driving to work, getting dressed, looking at social media. I mean, we have so many habits that we do automatically. And the value of this is that it frees up the prefrontal cortex for um, weightier things, right? So, What's going on here is that there's an efficiency that our brain and our nervous system, particularly our autonomic system, nervous system is seeking. And when it comes to changing those routines, those habits, there's a bit of an inertia to that, Mm. right? And there's two kinds of inertia. There's cognitive inertia, where we really don't want to have to change that which has become so familiar 
and so easy for us to do. And then there's physical inertia. Like it's to me very interesting that if you're sitting and you get up to move, apparently your body will calculate the most efficient way to do that with expending the least energy. (laughs) Uh, And so I guess one could call us lazy, but I think it's just our brains doing what the brain is meant to do, which is to be incredibly efficient about every expenditure that we make. Does that Mm. resonate with you, Irvin? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, and I think it's, it's, what I think about as well is is having to change a routine um, that we have, we've kind of based our lives. And I think a bit, I started, you know, at the beginning of the episode about marriage and about dishwashing, you know, kind of I had to get into a new routine now about how to do that, which is, is you know, funny. But and I think that shows up as well. And I think also building a routine as well can really be helpful. Um, I remember, you know, I I was working when I was doing my doctorate. And the only time I could find to do that was in the morning. So mm-hmm. I forced myself to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Oof. And I would have like three hours of solid work uh, before I had to do something else. And that's mm-hmm. how I got through that. Well, let me tell you, after four years of that, it has absolutely laid a, a print of my mind. And now I find I will naturally wake up and it's the most productive part of the morning for me because it's become a new habit for me. Yeah. And I, I was kicking and screaming. It was a, it was a massive change in my life and now I love it. You know, it's interesting because breaking habits is so hard, but that's a great thing, right? That habits mm-hmm. stick. Now, of course, yeah. it's not a great thing if it's a bad habit, but yeah. you know, neurons that, what is it? Neurons that fire together, wire together, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So the brain wants to have familiar, repetitive routines and habits because it works for us, right? Now, the downside of that is, of course, it's part of the, it's a puzzle piece around why we resist change, right? It helps us understand, darn it, I don't really want to have to fight against my inertia, right? Okay, but there's another side to this. And I think that has to do more with emotionally and psychologically, what Mm -hmm. is going on inside of us as human beings, when we do have to change. And and maybe you could speak to that, Urban. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of research around what's happening psychologically, emotionally with us. I think a a way of, of looking at this is that when we are faced with change in our lives, we we tend to go through uh, four phases, which I think are ha- helpful. And as I go through them, think of a, a change you've gone through and can you resonate with these phases? So the first phase is our initial response. And really, our initial response depends on how we view the change. You know, for some of us, change is great. We view it positively. It's something we want to do. And our morale may initially go up. You know, I met, we mentioned getting married. Or for me, it was quitting a job that I was burning out in and started my own company. So initially, it was a great change. I was excited about it and my morale went up. And now if we review the change uh, negatively, perhaps it's getting laid off. Perhaps uh, as happened to me, one of my local coffee shops that I, I was in the habit of visiting closed. And so that change was hard to accept and my morale went down. So that initial reaction is important. Then the second phase is we tend to go through an inner conflict. And this is irrespective if the change is good or bad. It causes this inner conflict as we receive new data. New data comes in and we have to adapt to new ways of thinking, of being. Mm -hmm. That is difficult. 
And so therefore, um, something that the, the new job that I got, well, all of a sudden, now there were challenges in this. Perhaps the boss was not the person I thought they were. Perhaps the team that I thought I was getting into is not functioning quite as well as I thought they were functioning. And so therefore, that is going to evoke emotions within us. And we are going to face uh, anger, perhaps blame, sadness, anxiety. And there's also a big drop in morale because mm-hmm. the grass maybe is not as rosy. Or if we thought the, the, the change is going to be bad, then it is quite as bad as we thought it was. And then there's phase three is exploration. So we begin to see a little bit of an openness to explore this new reality that we face. And there's almost an acceptance that things are not going to go back to the way they were. And I think what we're beginning to see is kind of a little forward. We're looking forward here, whereas before we're looking backwards. Mm. And there's a willingness to put some energy into making this change work. And then the final phase is recovery, which in we're able to embrace or fully accept the change. And there's an acceptance mm-hmm. of a new reality and new habits forming around that reality. Mm. And so therefore, in the midst of that, there is resistance, especially in phase two and phase three. What we're going to experience is that resistance. Mm -hmm. And so, Bridget, what what do you think might be the main driver of that resistance? Well, you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of what William Bridges, who was the person who came up with a model of change, well, actually a model of transitions that I found Mm -hmm. very wise. And what he said is every change begins with endings and Mm. endings are losses. Mm -hmm. So I think what's really going on with change is, is that we experience change in some form or fashion as a loss. And when we lose things that we care about, there's some, some grief, some sadness there. And even positive change can have elements of that. Right. So, so, you know, what are the kinds of losses that we experience in change? I mean, there can be lots of different kinds of losses. Like one is like you go through a change and what you lose is a a feeling of competence. Like you like, okay, I'm thinking of my, my son and daughter-in-law and they have a baby, a new baby. You know, I don't think they know what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did, did I know what I was doing? No. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so for a while, you feel incredibly incompetent, you know, and you kind of grieve the day when you have, you kind of felt like I know what I'm doing here. You know, sometimes we feel like we're losing status with a change. I can't tell you how many times I've had clients over the years be surprised by the resistance they get to a change around office space and who is going to get an office and who isn't and what size are the offices? Cause that's a whole status thing, right? Yeah. I mean, what else? Sometimes it's an identity change. Mm. It's a loss around who you used to be and now who you must become. Mm. And I remember when I first became a grandmother, again, the most wonderful thing in my, my life really in so many ways is, is these three grandchildren but let me tell you, there was an identity change there. <laughs> so I think that's behind some of the resistance. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think it really is. And to, to be able to name the loss as well, I think can be really important. I mean, you know, in marriage as well, you know, we've talked a little bit about that and about some of the change we had to make, but, you know, kind of the loss there is independence. 
You know, I cannot just do the dishwasher the way I did. Like, really, it's not a big deal. What the heck? But it is that loss of having the freedom without someone having to think about someone else and how to think about how they think, feel, and do. And there, there comes a point. And if, you, if you're in a new marriage and you haven't got there yet, I've got news. It's going to happen pretty soon <laughs> that, that, uh, that really, you know, that loss of, of independence comes there. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe it's loss of connection. You know, sometimes people move on from work. We get a new boss, et cetera. And we think, we think what we're, what's the problem is the new boss, but really what's underlying it is the loss of the connection we had with someone who's left. Mm. That's a big one. Yeah, and at times we kind of misdiagnose that, and we think it's it's just the new, and really it's 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 the loss. So so organizations go through this as well, you know, kind of especially when it, when a a change is announced or whatever, you know, we can go through all types of of denial even at the beginning. Well, this won't affect me, or um, they're going to have to change, not me, or they've said this before, and really it's it's this longing of of wanting to be where the things really were. Yeah. Uh, Things, how things used to be. Yeah. Um, and I think, that, you know, there's a power there in that, that I, mm. at times goes unnoticed and is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I like that word that you just used, a longing, you know, mm. for what was. And yeah. um, a little bit of a, a, a sorrow or a bittersweetness, you know, around yeah. that. Yeah. So the reality is change is coming. And so, Bridget, any thoughts around how we might best deal with this reality, which so often we have to deal with? Yeah, boy, that's such a good question. So I think a good place to start is acknowledging the longing and the loss, even in the positive change. So you mentioned marriage. It was such a, I remember when you got engaged and I just remembered the total joy that you embodied. And so it was a wonderful change in your life, but every good change also has losses. And I think that's a good place to start is just to acknowledge that as human beings, even the change we crave, even the changes we commit to have some loss to them and to not be surprised by that. Right. Yeah. I think the other thing is, is really naming those emotions because there can be some complexity to the emotions. They can be pretty intense. It's not just maybe sadness. There may be some anger. There may be some resentment. There may be some anxiety. There may be some fear. And some of us are not really comfortable with sitting with uh, such emotions, right? But yet what we resist persists, as they say. So I think that can be helpful. And then just, you know, in a time of change, I think we got to go back then to routines. What are the Mm -hmm. routines that aren't going to change and that we can take some comfort in? I mean, simple routines like our morning walk or our morning stretches, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And, you know, pretty much everything I've talked about is sort of, well, the first two certainly are sort of interior work, right? What we're doing on the inside. And then the third one is what can we actually do in terms of action? And I Mm. think identifying and resting in our routines to give us a sense of stability can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. What would you add? Well, you know, one thing that strikes me is that uh, there's that old saying that misery loves company. (laughs) So as you're going through change as well, just be aware of the people you have around you. 
because there is a temptation to hang out with people who feel the same way and especially like, oh, this change is awful. And, and it's just this, the conversation becomes an awfulizing conversation, as I say. <laughs> just like, you know, this is not to minimize that the change is difficult. But I also think it's great to have in our lives people that challenge us, people that are able to say to us, okay, but is there anything good going to happen? And I think that's a really good challenge for it to have. So it, can, we, can we seek out some positivity or someone that's willing to challenge the pervasive thought that everything is bad about this, or at least remind us, you know what? You've gone through horrible things in your life or changes that you were kicking and screaming, and now you kind of like that. And it's great to be challenged in that way. Hmm. And then, yeah. And then I think one other thing is be kind to yourself. Hmm. So some changes are very uh, stressful. They're not over quickly. They take a longer time. And are we taking care of ourselves? You know, maybe it's getting a massage. Maybe it's just taking a warm bath, soaking in a jacuzzi. Maybe it's taking time to listen to some music. But just doing something that's soothing and that gives us comfort, I think, is really important as we go through changes in our lives. Mm, That's lovely. I really appreciate that. So, Irvin, I'm excited to hear about the practice that you're going to leave with folks. I have a sense of it, but I'm really wanting to hear you describe this. I think you alluded to it itself, Bridget, when you talked about all different types of emotions come up in change. And I think at times we can be surprised even at the intensity of those emotions. And I think I, I, I said in an earlier episode that for me, it's important not to call emotions negative or positive. They are purveyors of information. They give us information and where we're at. And I think this is really important when it comes to change. Now, Otter Sharmer, who um, I love his writing, he was a, a lecturer at MIT, and he created this, this organization called the Presencing Institute. You know, he once said that holding space is the single most important leadership capacity going forward. I love that, mm. holding space. Mm. And so the challenge, I think, for each of us today is, can we hold space for some of these emotions that we're going through. Mm. And that will be more difficult for some people than others, because I think there can be an underlying fear that if I hold space for some of this anger that I'm feeling or this loss that I'm feeling, it'll take over and it will, you know, it'll be pervasive in my life. And, and I think what we have to do is we have to return to our friend, which we've mentioned so many times before, which is our breath. And just to find some time and begin with our breath and begin to ask ourselves, you know, what emotion am I feeling? What, when I think about this change, what is it that comes up? And maybe it is the anger of that. And just say, okay, it is okay to be angry. And then just wait for that. Don't accept that anger is going to be the only thing. I think you said earlier, there can be multiple emotions. And just keep, you know, have a little space for that. And maybe, you know, it becomes too intense and that's fine. And then just shut it down. And maybe the next day, just stay with it. And almost what we're trying to do is increase our capacity to sit with that emotion. Mm -hmm. And to know that that emotion is a message and that it is not going to take over. It's, It's, you know, we are identifying, we're naming the emotion and we're possibly, you know, inquisitive. And why is it there? And to take that, um, that time to do that becomes very, very important. Because it's the old saying, whenever we're able to name an emotion, 
we're able to tame it. Mm. And so the, the ability is to name what's happening and to say that it's okay and, and to ask what's the message of this emotion uh, means that we're able to tame that and to mm-hmm. deal with some of that intensity. Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes really important. So just take some time and some breath and just call to mind you know, a change that you're going through that you have strong feelings about. And just take some time just to acknowledge that and to explore and to dig a little bit deeper about where is it coming from and what's its message. Hmm, that's such a lovely practice. And, you know, Irvin, I, what's occurring to me is that as we develop our capacity to hold the space for our own emotions, we can do that more for other people. So going mm. back to the quote that you yes. cited, right? If that's a leadership yes. skill, we have to start with self first. Yeah. And then we can hold the space for other people to have a range of emotions and it doesn't throw us off center. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Thank yeah, you so much. Something for really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking about the other day and for a family member, I really had to practice holding the space for some really difficult emotions. And mm. I'm just grateful for my coach training, which has helped me mm. to learn how to, to do that, you know? Yeah. Okay, so man, what a great conversation. Thank you, Irvin. Living in a world of change and just, you know, really acknowledging that the personal and professional change, the scope of it. Sometimes we, as you said, we just don't realize it. We don't appreciate it. And then we don't have enough compassion for ourselves. And we should really, because the nature of change that we have to navigate is astonishing. So kudos to our listeners for all that they have been managing and dealing with. Kudos to you, Irvin, for your journey around managing change. I'll give myself a pat on the back. (laughs) And let's tell folks what is on tap for next time. Yeah, we're going to kind of uh, take a little theme that we've been talking about today and kind of came up at the end about holding space for others. And we're going to talk a little bit about tolerating our discomfort of others. Yeah, You know, in life, we are faced, unfortunately, of having to work with and or perhaps in our family of, of people that we find that it's, it's not all rosy, that, that at times there's some discomfort in that. And so how do we do that? Mm-hmm. Very well. Yeah. With yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. I look forward to it. Thank you for joining us to everybody. Irvin, I'll see you next time. Sounds good, Bridget. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.